Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Today's guest on the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast has both bark and bite. He's a Canadians analyst for RDS, a seven-season veteran in the NHL, and one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the history of the game. It's none other than PJ Stock. PJ, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Thanks. Nice build-up. Nice. Uh, nice. Thank you. you Thanks for not bringing up I, any of my stats. No, I tried to build it up before I tear you down a little later. Thank you. That? Thanks very much. Uh, Thank you. So we're going to talk some Canadians today, which is something sure. you do regularly on Lante Chambre. I hope I said that even close to being correct. Uh, we're also going to touch on the Tim Peel controversy because that's hot right now. Uh, but while I have you, I got to talk about something you did, and you mentioned the stats, but something you did actually really incredibly well in your career, which is to exchange punches with other humans. So, I mean, you have the absolute <laughs> craziest videos on HockeyFights.com, the database, database there. I just, I feel like I have to ask you where that all came from. Like not just the ability to scrap, but to literally just test chins with another man, like shot for shot style of fighting. How does that even come to fruition? Well, since we live in a PC world right now, I got to preference it by saying violence is not a solution to anything. And the whole, uh, you know, it was a different time. It was just a real different time. And I played, uh, you know, the, the dream that I always had was to go to an American university growing up. It was just growing up, you watch Notre Dame football, you know, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day was the big college football game. And growing up in Montreal, it's, it's, we glorified the American university institutes. And I thought that, you know, that's, that's where I wanted to go. And um, I, so I headed down that path, never pro hockey, but I was heading down that path. I went to play in a league, which was, a university would come watch you play. It was called Pembroke, Ontario, the CJHL, and it's not a violent league. It's not, even though we're going back, you know, 25 years, we had cages on. It was more for kids getting ready to go to the next level, uh, study-wise. And then midway through that, I made a change to go to uh, Victoriaville to play in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. And yeah. I kept playing my my same way that I played in Pembroke. And you know, this way was it was different because they had role players in junior, which you didn't have in the other junior league. So I'd go and hit someone. And after I hit someone, I'd get some six foot three guy coming over and saying, you can't hit that guy. I'm like, what do you mean I can't hit that guy? And he goes, this is why. Boom, right in your head. And then it was like, it was just different times, right? And right. Uh, so it was just, it was something that uh, I adjusted to. Uh, I found a liking to continue to play the role of hockey that I played. And got better at defending myself and everyone knows everything's between the ears and it just came to more confidence and more confidence and i just i i, I love going to rinks and having people boo me uh and having been cheered at my own rink and that role was something that just you know i i never wanted to do that i never went into a game thinking i'm gonna do that and it just that's how the player that i evolved into and you talked about the ones on on YouTube or whatever, uh, you know, I'm, I thank the Lord that I'm, <laughs> there were some tough men. There were some real yeah. uh, tough guys. And I'm, 
I know with all the science and everything that it's not really encouraged in today's game, but I, uh, it was a fun time and when it was okay to do. And uh, I did it for a reason. And it was all, obviously so much to do with your teammates and the score and, and, and retribution and intimidation. And I was lucky but uh, to have a chance to play in the league. And if that was my role, that was my role. And uh, I loved doing it. You mentioned tough guys, uh, and you mentioned six foot three monsters in junior that you were just all of a sudden, you know, coming into contact yeah. with. And, and that was sort of a theme for you was you were you're always having to fight guys that were bigger than you. So what was the key for you to hang with bigger guys in fights? The key was actually it's funny. I, I tell the story when I talk sometimes that I, you know, growing up, we everyone had uh, we, we had VHS tapes with our VCRs back in the day. And uh, mm -hmm. I only had two movies in my in our repertoire in the house and it was uh, one was robin hood prince of thieves with kevin costner and the other one was rocky four and uh so that's all you come home from school you put in uh you put in your vhs vhs tape and i just uh, it's just a mentality i love so many of those sports movies that have you know the messaging behind it and the rocky one was obviously the the story of the underdog and, and having to adapt to to find a guy much different and bigger than him and Rocky Four is exactly that. And, and the whole thing is about just don't go down. You know what? You mm -hmm. just don't go down. You've got to do something different to beat this guy. Don't let him get the best of you. And his corner is always like, you know, don't go down. Just don't go down. And that became kind of my mentality in those, those fisticuffs that was kind of, you know what? Just don't go down. Just don't go down. Change. What can you do differently to get the better of him? Just don't go down. And it was, uh, it was crazy times, but uh, fun times. And I guess I had, funny enough, that I'm quoting Rocky. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was my two weeks. If my parents would have had a different VHS tape back then, maybe things would have turned out differently. Well, I'm a little ashamed to uh, admit that my VHS of choice coming home from school was Spice World, which is probably why I wasn't uh, <laughs> able to hang in fights when I was growing up. Uh, well, you can dance. I actually can't. I don't think I absorbed anything from those movies, uh, unfortunately. Um, you mentioned not being the one to stop. I mean, that that is the one big thing that you actually notice from your fights is that you are never the guy who stops. Did you pride yourself on that? I pride myself on, like I said, you, I had to do things differently than the other guys did to me. Mm -hmm. So they're obviously bigger and stronger and had a lot, you know, weight and, and, and there were some things, you know, I'd have to change hands because you think of, you know, you, you go back and watch old tapes. It's a, a one guy holding another guy out like this. And there's, I was too small. I wasn't strong enough. So I had to learn to adapt. I got, I got hit one time in, in junior uh, by a guy named Paul Shantz that hit me with a left hand. And uh, I, I went to the ground. Right? Supposedly I got right back up really quickly, but it was mm. just kind of one of those moments that happened and I thought like you know I thought to myself well you know that I can't let that ever happen to me again and what he just did to me maybe I can do to somebody else so I took that moment to learn uh how can I be different than other fighters as that guy was just to me so I taught myself to be left-handed I'm I was right-handed and I thought to myself okay so everything I did I started doing left-handed started eating my food left-handed cutting my food brushing my teeth everything left-handed to teach myself to do things differently because I won't be able to fight as Rocky versus the Russian, <laughs> he can't fight in the same style. So we had to do things differently. And that's exactly what I taught myself um, at, at, at a young age. And 
that's the one way that I was able to survive. Everyone sort of understands, and you've already alluded to it, that fighting is sort of naturally being whittled out of the sport for, you know, potentially good reasons as well. Um, but when you look back on highlights, one thing that I notice is that, like, the actual fights that happened then and what happens now are completely different. Uh, do you know why the fights themselves have changed so much? Because it seems like now it's, uh, it's, it's, more of a, it's more of a duty where you protect yourself first and you get through it when before it was, you know, there was, it was trying to free up that left hand so you could actually not be the one that hits the ice first. And the one thing I, I never really fought out of being like hate. Like, I think those are the moments that you can ne never really get to and you can't ever lose control. And I think um, there was, but I would never be at a point you said to continuing, like I watched so many people get into a fight. I have to get mad or get myself to that point if I'm going to do it. You know, back then it was way different. There was more like, you know, I play with Wayne Gretzky, you, you know, you're hitting Wayne Gretzky. I got to, for our, for our team to be the best, Wayne has to be the best. So if someone's throwing Wayne off, how can we throw that guy off his game to make sure Wayne can have the most success possible? And mm -hmm. so there was all reasoning to it. Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, I always wish to hurt someone, but never to hurt someone. Like I want to intimidate them almost like, a, you know, like a, that temporary bruise that you're hurt in that game for something that you've been doing to my better players. Um, right. But I really don't want to hurt you. It's just kind of, the, the thought process of it. You know, there was so much into it back then, changing the score. There was uh, intimidation, retribution, um, trying to get the crowd into it, trying to, trying to get your team going. There's so many different reasons. I think there was way different style of, of hockey back then and more or less a more North American feel to the game. So we all grew up with it. We all grew up with that... Um, uh, that history and understanding of it. Whereas now today, it's the best players in the world um, that have different skill sets and have grown up playing the game differently than a lot of the North American players have with the history that they have. Um, and so we've kind of used the term whittled. The game has whittled out uh, the fourth line, five, six defensemen that were there to be the intimidator to be that one guy that will go out and be like okay now this is what you get uh, now you got to be able to skate and compete you know the ryan reeves uh, the, the wilson in in, in washington you got to be able to be a good hockey player be physical and be, be tough because you they don't want to waste a spot for someone that you know i couldn't cross over both ways i can't you know if the puck came near me i get all excited during the game you know but it's, it's not like that anymore you got to be able to uh the game's way faster the rules have changed you got to be able to compete on every shift at every time. So the, the players have changed. The fourth lines are now penalty killers, power play specialists, uh, face-off guys, uh, and that role is no longer there. So it's different. Guys of today, they don't have that same hate and understanding, I think, of the role. And I, listen, I miss it for entertainment value, right. but I, you have to understand the reason why it's out of the game, or, or Woodley now. Yeah. Um, Every player has a career arc. You know, they start with some, you know, some rookie lumps and, and, they, and they sort of, uh, they travel up a, on a straight line trajectory and then they hit their peak and then they come back down when their skills start to diminish a little bit. So does every fighter have a peak or a career arc like that? It's a great question. 
now are you talking offensively because i kept it exactly this way and i did this the secret is never give them too much you know always keep it flat and that's exactly what i did you know if i got two goals in the year the next year they'd ask for three and then the year after that they'd ask for four but if you keep it consistently at one you know offensively that part was then the fighting part is the part that you're asking about. Yeah, I'm asking if you like, did, yeah, were you all of a sudden not Rocky anymore at some point? Is what well, I'm no, I, I never was Rocky, but there, there is times where it is tough to do, where the, your teammates don't appreciate it as much. It's hard for yourself to slow yourself down because you want to do whatever you possibly can do to make an impact for yourself, for the crowd, for the team, for the momentum of the game, for many different reasons. And you've been playing that way all the time. It's hard to stop. But it's also a hard job to do night after night when it's not appreciated. Uh, And that's, it's a hard, like, it's not fun to get punched in the head for a guy that's not willing to, um, to appreciate what you like if i'm jumping it's fun saying wayne gretzky because you got the Oilers jersey behind you so we'll say that so if it's mm-hmm. if it's you know if wayne didn't appreciate dave Semenko, dave Semenko wouldn't have been there and right. dave wouldn't have continued to keep doing it you know it's just kind of it's that i appreciate you you appreciate me um, there is an arc where you 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 get to that i think peak is where you get experience and you get to i, I for me there's never really a peak it was kind of you know you're always learning i got hurt at 28 was done but there's there's a lot that goes into the fight preparation um and there's not a lot of fun after the fight so sooner or later that becomes tiresome the you can't get your hands in your gloves because they're swollen the busted fingers ligaments and stuff that that part's not fun but if you come into the locker room and the guy's come back from 2-0 after your fight and come back and score three goals. And the first person they come to see is you in the room. If the coach appreciates you and what you just did, he, he throws you out on the first line for some shifts just to say, thank you. So, you know, thank you. That makes you want to keep doing it. That is what uh, it encourage you, encourages you to keep really wanting to work on that role. There's a couple of teams that I played on. One, that that role wasn't really appreciated. When uh, you mentioned getting your hands back in the gloves and the busted up knuckles and all that, when does like the adrenaline rush fade in that five minutes in the box and it actually is just like, okay, I'm now sitting here and I'm, I'm in quite a bit of pain. Well, <laughs> good point. It's, it is all adrenaline. Like so, many, so many people um, don't understand that it is. I never really got too carried away uh, in a fight. It was all controlled breathing. It was all, you know, thinking a kind of a chess match. I know it looks like it's in fast pace, but there's hand grips being changed. There's little elbow movements. There's just ducking your head. There's all little things that uh, kind of happen. And you're in that. And I remember one night where I fought Rob Ray and uh, Rob Ray landed like a, se- a lucky 17 rights in a row. And uh, I go back to the box and like nothing's really the fight ends and I go back to the box and my face starts throbbing and I'm mm. like, this is not good. 
you know, this is this something's wrong. So the first thing you do is I look over at the clock guys that are in like 10 clock guys in there just to put the on and off button. I never really understood that. So I look at them and they're like, hey, good job, PJ. And I'm like, okay, so I'm not bleeding too bad. I took the towel on my face. There's no blood. I look to the left and then all the fans are all stuck up against the glass and they're all like ah, screaming. So I'm like, okay, that's not bad. Okay, whatever. But my face starts to throb and throb and I quick, you know, you do this and you don't really feel anything. Then I go to take a sip of my water and it drools on the side of my mouth. <laughs> and I'm like, something's not right here. So the problem is with that five minutes in the penalty box, it's five minutes, like, of not on the clock, but it's five minutes of hockey time. It could be a half hour by the time the five minutes of the game roll by. So I'm sitting there, I look back at those guys in the suits and like, they're not saying anything. And my face is, I can hardly drink my water. I finally wait, you know, 25 minutes later, I get out of the box, my face is throbbing. I go over to the bench and Robbie Petorik is with the Boston Bruins. Robbie Petorik goes, way to go stalker, get back out there. And uh, I'm like, uh, get Donnie. Donnie was our trainer. He's like, you don't want to go? I'm like, get Donnie. So Donnie Del Negro is still the uh, great, uh, trainer with the Boston Bruins comes down and Donnie looks over at my face and Donnie's like, Stocker, you okay? And I'm like, look at the other side. He looks at the other side and I had a, a huge hole in my face from my zygoma bone, which goes over your jaw kind of caving in. So he's like, yeah, we have a, we have a problem here. So the, the moment of being in that fight and the adrenaline and everything can cover up the fact that half of my face was busted off, so yeah. it was uh, it was uh, one of those ones that, you know, the the fun, not the fun, but the adrenaline and the energy do mask a lot of the the bubbles, and that was one of the worst ones. Well, I hope your face isn't throbbing, reliving these memories. But I'll ask you one you more. Are, you're all over me. I, I thought we were going to talk about some offsides or something. You're like, PJ, remember when you got punched in the face? I've been having like PTSD. <laughs> okay, okay, one more then. One more and it's not. One more, uh, one no, more. Nothing painful. Good moments. Just okay. a better feeling. Waving to a road crowd or a home crowd after a fight. Oh, you know what? The road crowd, I never really liked to do. I just like to do it sometimes when they were kind of, kind of, not a little bit more in, in, in younger leagues, but mm. in the NHL, uh, another moment was in uh, the only real time I kind of got a little carried away with myself. Again, the adrenaline of the moment, you get too excited. And that's me in a nutshell. You know, sometimes it gets the best of me in this. We're playing, I'm with the Boston Bruins. We're playing in, I think, 2002 playoffs and my I scored in the game uh in game four of the first round of the Senate finals and uh, we're playing against my old team in my town the, the Montreal Canadiens and we're on the road I'm the Boston Bruins and I score early in the game I think the score is 5-2 or 5-1 or something there's like two months left to go in the game and we get a power play so my coach back to that appreciation thing puts mm -hmm. our line out for some power play a you don't want to put your best power play line on to kind of a, mock the opposition. B, right. you want to rest them. And C, let's give Stalker and his line a chance because he touched the puck for once tonight. So, <laughs> you know, we go out there and Michel Terry is the coach of the Montreal Canadiens at that time. And Michel coached against me. And he's the one, he was the coach of the Canadiens when they traded me. He was the coach in the American Hockey League and always fought against me. And here he is. He goes and puts his 
Gina Hochek, big tough guy out there against me. And I'm like, mm. come on, man, I'm on the power play. I've never been on the power play. <laughs> like, and now that he lines up against me and I'm like, come on, man. Like I can't go to another wing. I'm stuck out here at center ice in the bell center, big playoff game. I know what my role is. Everyone on my bench is yelling, don't do it. Don't fight PJ. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, come on. You, you can't do this to me. I'm looking at the coach and Michelle's kind of nodding his head and Gino's tapping his stick. And there's a picture where he's poking me in the eye. And then finally I'm like, ah, and we start punching. Anyways, the fight ends. And as I'm going off the ice, I wave to the crowd. I hold my jersey up. I'm just, it's one of those moments that I love and I regret. So it's kind of like one of those, I don't know. I, listen, I've just been punched in the head a bunch of times. I don't know why I, why I get it. It's just and adrenaline gets the best of you sometimes. So never meant to disrespect anyone by ever doing it. Sometimes it wants to play with people's minds, and especially the crowd. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a part of the entertainment factor for the home crowd. Yeah. But when, you're, when your hand is forced in a weight crowd, uh, right. I don't think anyone can, anyone can hold that against you. Um, let's go fault. to the big – no, not your fault at all. Let's go to the big talking point today since I don't want any, uh, any more PTSD. Um, and, and the big thing after, after Tim Peel was – sorry? I think I need a nap after that conversation. <laughs> you need a nap. Or, or a Tylenol, at least. Yeah. Um, so the so the the controversy over Tim Peel um, sure. being dropped by the NHL and the and because he was you know caught on a hot mic saying that he basically wanted to give Detroit a power play to whether it was to make up for a call or to sort of level the playing field whatever it was it happened and now he's been dropped by the NHL a couple of weeks before his retirement but the idea of referees managing the game is not new I mean make up calls even up calls purposely missed calls this is something that we've always sort of understood about this game so. What was your reaction to the decision, decision to, you know, drop Peel? And how aware were you as a player of referees manipulating certain situations based on either their mistakes, injustices that are happening in the game, flow, et cetera? Uh, how, how prevalent was that? And how much were you aware of, of that happening? Or were you at all? They're human. You know, that's the one thing that we all forget. The players are human too. Uh, you know, fans forget that too because they make so much money. And then the referees are human too, you forget that as well. Like you're, there's so much human error to, to, to so much. And, and sometimes what influence a lot of our actions is, you know, I was telling you before about fighting and if I didn't feel appreciated, it was hard to go do my job. Um, mm -hmm. a, a referee, uh, I'm not saying it should ever happen, but you know, there's some nights where, uh, well, let me just pick a superstar, right? Cause I played, you know, let's say Wayne Gretzky only because we said Wayne before the jersey and I, and I'm not saying it's Wayne, but I'm just going to say, let's say Wayne Gretzky's yelling at a referee all night. Yeah. That referee's not going to give a penalty to Wayne Gretzky. That, that referee's going to be like, Wayne, slow down. He's not going to give a superstar on the team, like a, like a Sidney Crosby, like a, a Connor McDavid, a little different today, but you, you wouldn't give that guy a penalty. The next time anyone else on your third or fourth line does anything somewhat questionable, mm. you... you you understand, you know, I, I, it goes back. I didn't think about it as much until I finished playing and I was, uh, I was a referee in a charity event in the, in the final. And I'm, I'm a, I'm referring to the charity game and I'm giving the right calls and I think I'm doing well. These old, old guys are just every, they're giving me all the business. 
And I'm like, excuse me? And I thought like, how can you talk to me like that? Like, what is this? Like, but I think back to my career and that's how we talk to referees. And, and you know what? Sometimes that non-robot part of them, you know, has, you know, it, it, they, they have feelings sometimes. Why he's made that call, why he said that. He was talking to his partner. We don't know why he said it. We don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But we're speculating. I understand what the league has to do because there's so many reasons why we're thinking that he did say it. Was there a makeup call? Did he want to make to, to, to give a call to the Predators just because they've been, you know, I, I didn't watch the game. So this is what I lost that. Were they being donkeys the whole last period and he yeah. wanted to calm, did he want to calm them down? Was their coach yelling at them so much that he wanted to calm the coach down? Did he like, did he just call three penalties in a row against Detroit and wanted to get like, there's so many things that go into it. And, and I don't know, but this is the part where you have humans making the calls and, and it's fast. Um, you say things that you don't always mean. I've got penalties that I sometimes I knew I didn't do anything, but it was a makeup call for something else that happened. It, it, it is what it is. Tim Peel being taken out, you have to. Unfortunately, I just, you don't want the referees to, I forget how many games he's repped. I want to say it's like 1,900. That's something crazy. I think it was like, th- like 1,350, something like that. 1,350, crazy yeah. number. And, and you don't want it to be remembered as, as, as just this. But it's been going around forever. It's, it's like that in every sport. Where you have humans involved making decisions, this is kind of what you're going to get. Unfortunately, yeah. and, and it doesn't look great. Yeah, I mean, if, as long as it's not machines, there's going to be some emotion involved in it. But well, what you do said, you think? I, I'm going to ask you, what do you think he was doing on that play? Well, I, I mean, I, I think for sure that we we have some sort of manipulation from referees in terms of, okay, they don't want to be perceived as being biased towards a team that just got four straight power plays. So the next one, we're going to, we're going to watch things a little bit closer because on this side, because, you know, we, we want at the end of the night for it to not be four nothing in penalties or five nothing it's better if it's maybe five to two by the end of the night just because that dictates exactly what the game sort of or closer to what the game would be perceived as the optics i guess right yeah it's the optics that's what we're worried about that's your exactly your point though but it shouldn't be Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be the game should be called exactly as it is you would you would think i mean if a team's absolutely dominating and they deserved eight penalties and the other team deserves zero penalties then that's you know that's probably what it should be but I could see why you'd want to avoid that situation because of all the emotion that not even is associated with you. It's the other team getting upset and mad that, that they're, that they feel like they've been sort of hard done by in that situation. I think that's where it comes in. But with, I think where this situation is different or the key factor, you mentioned that he was talking to his referee partner, but apparently Matt Duchesne said this morning that he was actually telling the predators bench that this is what he, his intention was. So I'm wondering if you ever heard that where a referee would come to the bench and say, I, got, I had to call one against you guys because of this or, or something like that, because that seems a little bit offside in terms of like how a referee should be conducting themselves. We would get warnings. Like mm-hmm. if you guys, you know, again, I've never sworn, but there are players in the NHL that swear every now and then. And every now right. and then, uh, it goes on throughout a game. And maybe it goes on throughout a week when you have the same referee. And yeah. it adds up. 
it does add up. And sooner or later, it's like, hey, if, if Billy doesn't shut up, I'm giving you guys two. I don't care who's getting it. I'm going to give someone two. Right? It's just going to be like, that's the human element that you, that you have, right? It's kind of like, did he give that penalty to kind of calm down the bigger picture? Um, I don't like, again, but the NHL loves that there's mics everywhere. Like, yeah. the players hate it. Uh, everyone, but everyone wants to see this stuff. Well, now they just saw something that's one of the ugly truths of the game. It's happened. It happens all the time. Every game, the referee has to come over and say something to the bench. Like, all the time. Hey, tell Brendan to sit down and put a pipe in. Like, hey, you know, if he, everyone, coach, if you're – I'll talk to the, uh, the head coach. If, if you're assistant co- coach, your backup goalie doesn't shut up. I'm giving you guys two minutes. I don't care. Like, I don't want to hear another word. Mm-hmm. But it continues. And then eventually, they'll call one. And, yeah, it might be a cheesy call. But he did kind of give you the warning. The thing we hear every time there's, um, you know, controversy in a playoff game involving referees is the either players or teams or executives saying, we want the players and teams to decide the game. Right. I, I feel like this is almost a player and team created problem because they are so adamant with that and referees don't want to be accused of influencing the game in that regard. So, you know, the fact that we always hear this, and the referees wanting to provide like an equal opportunity sort of scenario in every game. Is it only because, you know, the players want this? Like, is this a player and team made problem uh, that just affects the referees more? I think the problem is, is that there's a rule book and everyone is pretty much, this is my opinion. This is not verbatim, but Mm -hmm. everyone the rules are how these referees in, interpret it. That's kind of what you see. In football, from what I've witnessed, you know, a call is a call. doesn't matter who's against, a call is a call. Uh, hockey, we, and yes, there are two different sets of rules for Tom Brady, but right. that's okay because I like Tom Brady. But there, in hockey, there are. There's the superstar rules, and then there's the third, fourth line guy rules. Uh, there's the let's call everything or let's let the boys decide it. Right. It's just, but one refereeing team to another ref team might be different. So there's a lot of this. And and when you say, let's let the guys decide it, well, often it'll be the more physical team or, or, or cheating team or whatever, the hooking team or whatever that might be able to influence the game. But the referees now, once they haven't called one, you can't call the next one. And then there's a snowball effect. Uh, so, right. yeah, some players, some teams, everyone have a difference of opinion. Like, if, if it was me when I played, I, Rob, take those whistles and don't bring them out. Don't bring them out on the ice. Unless Rob Ray's coming after me again, quickly blow that down and come, come protect me. But if it's yeah. the Connor McDavid's of the world, uh, anytime he, there's a, a stick on him because he's so fast, they want to call against him. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of stuck in these two worlds depending on how your team plays, who you're playing against, and then, you know, who your star player is, who their star player is, who's lined up against everyone, where you are in the standings, how important the points are, how important the next goal is. There's When you break it all down, unless they find a way to go to tennis and the robot, this is what we have. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think if we learned anything, it's that admission is guilt here because everyone's going to have their emotions, you know, affect how they handle a situation, especially referees and officials, because they're in such a, it's such a difficult job anyway. But when you start saying things out loud, and unfortunately, if you get caught on a hot mic and you're, you're influencing the game, especially when the NHL is welcoming gambling now and, and other things like that, like you can't have those things sort of hanging over you. And if they're, they're kind of lucky that a guy who was about to be shown the door in terms of, you know, he's just getting up there in age and, and moving on. And it wasn't a 25 or 28 year old guy who might have had two decades ahead of him and had some promise. I think they might have lucked out in that regard. You just said a word that like, I've even thought of was the gambling aspect. Yeah. Like, like that is kind of, if you think about that, like, you know, players are so talented and the league is, you know, the way they call things at times, it does, you know, we used to say, you know, there's the two goal lead is the worst lead in hockey. Now it's almost three because team can, can come back by three goals. Boom, boom, boom. Mm -hmm. But let's say that team is down three, nothing. And you, and a call like that, a chintzy call that you're just doing to make up because Ha, 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 I want, again, I don't know why he gave the penalty, but whatever. And that team now comes back into it and changes the, the outcome of the game. There's a lot of gambling involved. And that's why I think yeah. football, I think is, I love football, how almost every time there's a penalty, all the referees get together. It's, it is a good penalty. We're actually picking up that flag. You know, I don't know yeah. why hockey doesn't do that. You know, I don't know why in football, anyone can almost call anything. I know they all have a specific area to call. I don't know why hockey doesn't have that. All the referees yeah. on the ice could have a, you know, why can't a linesman call a major penalty if you just witnessed a major penalty? So there's, and the gambling aspect is, that's why football, you have to, because there's so much money involved. Now hockey's going down that path, and here's something that is, you know, how much will it influence the gambling moving forward? It shouldn't, because gamblers are gamblers. But it does make you think twice, you just need transparency and honesty with it. And you can't have referees who are trying to change outcomes of games when people are, and you're, you're promoting the gambling on your space. If, if you're the NHL, which they're um, preparing to do. Okay. Let's get to the Habs. I don't know if we have too much time left because uh, again, a lot of fighting talk and, and referee talk. So uh, and let's get to uh, what's that. And Tylenol's is right. We'll, we'll get to a little bit of that. Habs talk here. Um, sure. But the first thing I think we have to establish is sort of what your expectations were coming into the season because it was a busy off season, obviously for Mark Bergevin, uh, perhaps inspired by a unexpected positive experience in the bubble. And he went out and improved his club because he thought that he had something here in this North division. So wh where did you grade out those moves and, and where do you think the Canadians were coming into this North division uh, as opposed to maybe where they are right now? I've been like in four different phases of Mark Bergevin uh, up until now. So I, I don't like where the team was last year. They were 24th in the league. Uh, they're they made it into the playoffs last year, but it doesn't count because they were 24th. Like, right. like, in my opinion, last year there's the guys that won it won it. They deserve. It was hard to do everything, but a 24th team getting into the playoffs, yeah, they had to win a little play-in series where no one played for months. There's some kind of asterisk there. So if you think right. about it, the Canadians hadn't been in the playoffs for the last five years. Their minor league club hasn't uh, been in the playoffs, I think, seven of the last eight years. Uh, they don't really have any uh, upcoming prospect. There's no depth in the organization via the organizational draft chart. Um, you know, a lot of was betting on uh, Romanov to come over from Russia and be an impact player right away. 
And you know what? They were banking on two really young centermen. So I did not think that the season was going to start off all that well. I, I looked at, if you look at where the Canadians' penalty killing was last year and their power play going into a division that now had Toronto, uh, Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver, and I, I forget to put a pig, four of the top 10 power plays in the league. Mm-hmm. If I'm right, or maybe not Calgary, it's Winnipeg that's in there. Whatever. Four of the top 10 power plays in the league. And they're going to be playing them every night. That was the league, 31 teams. Now there's four of the top power plays just in their division. So I thought with the, the, the moves that they made, um, you did, they didn't buy a ton of goals. No one was sure about Anderson coming up with shoulder surgery with one goal, I think three assists last year. Um, you know, Edmondson on the back end, they were 24. They had two weeks in the bubble. I was not expecting much. They come out and they are unbelievable. I go from Bergevin to be fired to Bergevin <laughs> wins general manager of the year like that. Like everything they touch to start the year off, everything to yeah. fully. And Anderson's batting pucks out of the air. Edmondson's unbelievable. Jake Allen's the best goal in the world. They're winning the Stanley Cup. I, like it's just, and then reality kind of kicked in. Yes, mm-hmm. they do have two young centers that are only 20 years older, 20 and 21. They are up against the salary cap now. They can't really make too many changes. Their core is getting a lot older, and, and Carey Price and Shea Weber and, and, and Petrie and Gallagher, and, you know, their their core is getting a little bit older. Um, and the, I think the game's one's down the middle, your defense and your goalie. And at the time, their goalie wasn't playing well, uh, Carey Price. Their middle was two young centermen and, and, and Dan O, who, Poor guy couldn't buy a goal to start the season. Um, mm-hmm. and, and their defense lacked some mobility. And then they fire a coach, come back with a new one, and they're kind of in the same space. Uh, but, again, now I'm, I'm not even sure what I think. They went, started up there, went down here. I'll give them a few steps up right now. But, you know, they've been playing Vancouver. They played Vancouver uh, nine times. They won six and three uh, overtime. So they got 15 points out of a possible 18 but they don't play right. Vancouver anymore for the rest of the year. So now it's going to be interesting how they're going to generate as many points moving forward. So when they did come back to back to earth, uh, the decision was made to fire Claude Julian, as you mentioned. Um, but I, I feel like you would divvy up the blame a little bit differently. And I think most people would, um, but the convenient or the easy way to solve a problem or at least address a situation is to fire the coach because there's usually nev- never really any other options other than a big trade or I guess making a change at the management position. So when they were encountering their, encountering their problems, where did the blame lie from you? I mean, you mentioned you were, you're cold on Bergevin coming in. Uh, certain players have underperformed at the start of the year, but there's been a lot of uh, high performers for this team as well. So uh, what, was, what was sort of the, who should have been shouldering the, the blame that Claude Julian uh, basically had to shoulder all by himself? The general manager, 100%. Uh, if it wasn't a COVID world, the Canadians would not have been in the playoffs. Uh, and what happened is they, we looked at two weeks last year in the play, or a month in the playoffs. I think we over-evaluated the young players that the Montreal Canadiens had. They went out and picked up players that came in and made an impact. And those players have been making an impact. The problem is all the other players that the Canadians have had for the last couple of years aren't right now. And the problem is they can't take players from the minors 
and really plug them in there because the organization has not dropped well, drafted well in the last eight years. They don't have those players that are call up, you know, they had to go sign four key players. Uh, you need a backup goalie. Uh, they pretty much got four well, a top four defensemen. Uh, and they were hoping Romanov came in and or Romanov, sorry, had a huge impact because uh, they don't have many players that they can bring up and put into the organization. And then a lot of those players that could come up, they don't have any winning experience. They haven't been in the playoffs six of the last seven years or seven of the last eight years. So I think a lot of it falls on, on 95% of it falls on the general manager. Uh, and yeah. I think some of it falls on Carey Price. And it's right. not so much, you know, Carey's Carey, but unfortunately we live in this world of comparables. And, you know, when you're, your team's in this kind of a salary, salary uh, crunch, uh, and you're statistically not where you probably should be. It, you're like if if we're talking about Toronto and Matthews and Marners aren't scoring, well, that's why that team's kind of in trouble. McDavid and Drysdale making all the money in Edmonton, they're not scoring. That's in trouble. Well, Montreal's back heavy, so their back end they have to win games two, one, three, one because they don't have a ton of offense up front. But they're built to to, to win games on the back end by giving ten and a half million to your goalie and, and paying a lot of money to your defense. Well, they're still giving up three, four goals a night. And whether it's the system, whether it's the defense, or whether it's the goal, whatever. Um, so, and a lot of times is, I, you know, I, I'm, I think Kerry wasn't great at the, at the, the midpoint of, of the season. He had a couple of good games after the coaching change. Uh, but he has to be better. They, they have to be better. Um, and I don't know. I think they're built for the playoffs. I don't know if they're built for the regular season. You mentioned things maybe not changing too, too much uh, since Dominique Ducharme has come in. Uh, only five of the 13 games he's coached have been wins, but they've earned a lot of points given that five of their eight losses have come in extra time. Um, so uh, you mentioned the two big things, I think, Carey Price and obviously the change at, at, at coach. So since the change, and since maybe even more importantly, the change from Stefan Waite to Sean Burke, even though we, I don't even think he's in Montreal yet due to the quarantine rules, but the changes at head coach, the changes from goaltending coach, has there been a tangible change or benefit since those two moves were made? Kerry started playing better. Kerry started playing better, which is, um, they changed up a little bit of their style. You know, I don't have to break it in too much, but the D weren't pinching as much and they were recruiting, coming back more as a group and, not mm -hmm. trying to give up as many opportunities to opposition, which kind of helps your goalie. Uh, he had a few games in a row where he, he played well. And A, is it the system or is it B, is it him? But nonetheless, uh, you need that. Show me a good goalie, I'll show you a good coach. Right. And, and then the other thing is the special teams is, is a big, you know, you might not always get, the goals or kill the penalties, but they're momentum swingers. Uh, we talked about fighting before. That was a big one back in the day, or, or big body checks. The physicality is not the game as much anymore. So really the ebb and flows of the excitement in the game sometimes come by the energy and chances in, in, uh, uh, in zone offense you can generate that can maybe get a little more step, on, step in your game, get the crowd going. So the power play has shot up from, I believe, about a – an 18% to a mid 30%. So, I mean, that's almost double. So that's giving your, your 
offensive guys a little bit more swagger. You know, they're getting mm-hmm. – you don't like looking at your score sheet and see zeros – not zeros, or like your stat sheet and seeing zeros on the cross. I was right. used to it, so I didn't mind it. I, you know, I was like, yeah, hey, PJ touched the puck. Hey, look at that. PJ had a blocked shot. Like, I was pretty excited about that stuff. But these guys making $6 million and everything's comparable. I talked about Kerry. Well, these guys want to compare themselves to other guys in the league as well. And, and they're off, the, the offense started to come a little bit. Uh, they've been giving up a little bit less uh, in nets uh, as well. So kudos to that. I don't know how much, as you said, as Burke can help because he's not necessarily there just yet. But all they're in, you know, Deshaun was already on the bench. So his voice mm-hmm. has kind of already been heard. So it's, it's you know, it's I give credit to – and the power play changing, I give credit to the leadership group for starting to play better. And I give credit to the goaltending and Carey Price for uh, for changing the way that they were playing when Claude Julien got fired. After Price, is there a line or a player or a pairing or something that shoulders more responsibility than others when it comes to the success of the Canadians? They don't have – this is the problem with the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, they they don't have a number one center. Okay? They don't have a number – like, uh, hopefully Suzuki or Korkinemi will be that person long term. Um, they don't have a real offensive threat. They don't have a Panarin. They don't have a McDavid. They don't have a Crosby. They don't have a Stamkos. They are by committee. They are success and failure by committee. So – When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Unfortunately, the superstar of the team is Carey Price. So it's easy to do. And, and Jonathan Dwayne, for a bit, being the highest played winger, it all fell on Jonathan Dwayne as well because they traded a big prospect in Sergeyev from Tampa Bay Lightning, brought by Jonathan Dwayne, and he was supposed to be, you know, the, 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 the francophone superstar that this organization has been waiting for. And, and I don't think as much of it, it is Johnny's Dwayne, Jonathan Dwayne's fault as much as a lot of people for putting the bar too high on him because you see how much talent he has and you just want it more often. So that could be his blame as much as some of our blame. Um, I, I think, unfortunately, though you look at the position, which has always been the goaltending in Montreal, has always been open for criticism and praise, uh, goes back in the history of the team. Uh, Patrick was a great example. Jose Theodore just in the most recent times. And you're the hero. The team hasn't had 
an offensive superstar. So you fall back on the next play. And that's, it's not your, the PK Supan was there for a bit and he had that flash, but it's hard. You couldn't blame that guy in the middle. You blame the guys that can't score or the person that lets the goal in. I think sometimes those people in the middle get left out a little, but uh, carries a guy that takes a lot of the heat. And unfortunately, it comes with a, a meal ticket of $10.5 million a year. His month-long slump, I think, uh, undid a lot of the really good stuff that, that uh, Mark Bergevin was able to accomplish in the offseason. Maybe he wasn't working with the best hand coming in, but what he did in the offseason uh, was pretty good in terms of who they brought in. Uh, and it seems because of that, there's been maybe even more positive than negatives, like Jeff Petrie, Norris conversation, Tyler Toffoli, all the goals, Josh Anderson, solid addition, Joel Edmondson, maybe, um, you know, out shooting expectations. Jake Allen's been good. Romanov and Suzuki have fallen back to earth a little bit, but these are guys that are just coming into the, into the group as well. Uh, I feel like that might, even though the money is tight, that might empower Mark Bergevin even more. And we've got the trade deadline approaching. So, what are your expectations for the trade deadline for Montreal, and how would that jive with what you would have you would do if you had the power uh, to make the moves in Montreal? Well, my thing is they've there's kind of salary cap crunched right now, so yeah. I think they have, and they're also stuck with these two. They have old guys. I'm calling them old, as I'm older than all of them here with my gray beard. But you know, you have the Weber, the Petrie, Petrie, by the way. I'm, like you said, all the guys that you're saying spectacular like they're all such impacts and they're all guys that he just brought in um mm -hmm. but you know there's guys that i don't like a lot of the contracts that he's given out but that's for another day but there's guys that are at the tail end and there's guys that are just starting there's a big middle gap that's not really there and i think that's part of the problem with this team because what's the next move i mentioned their lack of success in the minors and development of players in the minors you don't have that next wave coming up Cole Caulfield, uh, you know, hopefully can come in and maybe have some presence. But if I look at this team, prior to this year, the number one center for the last year, few years has been uh, Philip Daniel. And Philip Daniel was struggling this year, but he's without a contract. He is your key face-off guy. He's your key experience guy. And he doesn't have a contract. Thomas Tatar has been the number one goal scorer on the team for the last two years. He does not have a contract. He's most probably going to have to leave at the end of the season because they don't have the money to pay him. Joel Armia, uh, uh, Kakanyemi doesn't have a contract for next year. Lekkanen doesn't have a, a contract for next year. So, you know, I was a guy that, you know, every mistake that I made was like, ah, we don't need PJ, we can replace him. These superstar guys, they work a little bit differently. They're in the league. They're worried about how much money they're going to make next year, not fall out of the league, which was my thing. I was going to fall out of the league or sit out next game. They're all mm -hmm. playing with dollars. And every time they don't get a goal, have a bad game, it plays with their mind. Right. If I'm Bergevin, and if they are not part of their future plans, move them now. I, I would I would really move them now. And there's that two-week um, quarantine in Canada that the players – so you can only change within your North Division yeah. if you want to make – but the problem is everyone's in it. Besides Ottawa, everyone's right in it. So I think you have to look down to the States. And now that the Canadians, I don't want to say fortunately, unfortunately, I, I'm not PC and I don't want to come up with the wrong word, but they have mm -hmm. quarantine going on in their team right now because they have COVID issues. They're not playing for a week. So if you were to make a trade now, 
you do cut off seven days of the, of that potentially player having to miss a week of hockey. So now instead of missing two weeks, they might only miss one. So I would really be crunching right now thinking about what am I doing with Philip Daniel? This team doesn't win with Philip Daniel, but if he's not signing here, I'm not losing him for nothing and going into next year with three centermen under 22 years old. Um, I've, am I not losing Tatar for nothing? He's my number one goal scorer two years in a row. Am I going to lose him for absolutely nothing? Can I not get something for him? You know, there's Joel Armia. There's, I think they have to identify their team right now and address it and um, make moves now. If not, I don't think there will be another move made. I, I, I don't think there will be. And perhaps not get not get blinded by the fact that they're you know going to be in a postseason position. And they are right now. They could be by the end of the year, or they should be by the end of the year. And maybe that shouldn't factor into everything that they're that they're planning because it's beyond this season. It's it's building for the future still. It is building for the future, but if you're building for the future, um, that's why the trades for me happen now. Because if not, you lose three players for nothing at the end of next year, and yeah. your core just aged another year, and the. the you're going to have to bring in another young player that's going to need another year of growing, which means those that Carey Price is 36. Shea Weber is 34. Petrie is going to be 34. Gallagher's is 30. Like every year that you're that the youth guys get better, the older guys are aging as well. So mm-hmm. they're kind of stuck in these two opposites. And that's because of a lot of years of poor drafting where they don't have those middle guys. And that's, I think, part of the problem with this team. Two more for you because I know we're running a little bit past time uh, and you can be quick on these if you'd like. The Jeff Petrie-Norris trophy buzz, is it legitimate? It is legitimate and I do not want to say this, but honestly, I have not watched enough of the other divisions. I watched right. uh, I when I was with Hockey it's Night. Up here. It's, t- it's tough. Like it's it's tough. Hockey, hockey every night uh, and you're, it's every second night. And for if you're watching a specific team like Montreal, uh, so you're missing a lot of those other games. I used to sit in my basement when I was, and I, that's all I did was, you know, you, you TiVo some games and watch some live, you had picture in picture. Uh, now I focus a little bit more on Montreal, uh, on the North division, and I have my favorites. I, you know, I like watching, you know, my old Flyers play, my Bruins play, and my Rangers play. And, you know, it, it's hard to watch the West Conference. It's hard because this division also has their Western time slots as well. The, the Northern right. division also has the West. So, yeah. You kind of don't have the split like they used to. So it, it has been hard. So Norris, for what he's done for the Montreal Canadiens, uh, he's been spectacular. And, and he might have actually covered up some warts for this team that, you know, that are there. But he's been really great to compare him to other divisions and, and players in other divisions. I, I, I wouldn't be doing the other guys justice. Last one for you. My theory based on this season and watching this season unfold is that we've overlooked matchups in the NHL for too long. And or the idea that, you know, one team is just built to beat another. And Montreal's sort of a shining example of that, right? They've dominated the Canucks, as you mentioned before. But they're not going to play the Canucks in the postseason, it seems. So who then would the Canadians match up best against in the postseason if they do, in fact, make the postseason just to put them in the best position to potentially advance? Well, their back end lacks mobility. So this is the question. I... Right now, as I'm saying this, as we talk, McDavid is in an, on another planet uh, offensively. So that's not a good matchup. And if I'm thinking the Montreal Canadiens, you know, Weber is normally your shutdown guy. 
uh, his pairing, I would not have that pairing. I put a more mo mobile defense than which would be the Petrie duo against McDavid. So, yeah. you know, then you have, you know, it's Toronto. Toronto is, they could, you know, they could score. They could score. Uh, they do have some questions on, on defense every now and then, as does Edmonton. Um, but Montreal doesn't have that game breaker with speed. But Montreal can kind of clog them up. Uh, and, and there's Winnipeg right now, but we're talking about the top four that would be in. Mm -hmm. I would say I love Winnipeg. Um, I'd say they're – I'll do this. I'd say they match up – this is going to sound crazy. I'm just going to contradict myself, but you're going to blame it on the concussion for me punching the head. <laughs> I'm going to say they match up best against Edmonton because they don't have as many players to shut down. They have a, a, a back end uh, that is – that has issues at times. I think Dave Tippett has done an amazing job with that team, but we're at the midpoint. We're not at the tail end. So it'll be interesting to see how they finish the year. As of today, there's still too many question marks uh, for that team. And it goes by when I saw Toronto play uh, Edmonton and the way they mm -hmm. controlled Edmonton, I have to give a check mark to Toronto there. And this, that Winnipeg team just suckers me in every year. I pick them every year because they can do so many things so well. Great goaltending, great offense, depth. Their blue line is the if iffy question as well, but I think they have more depth up front than the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think if, if I had to choose it from a Montreal perspective, I'd go Edmonton because McDavid's going to do his damage on anyone. Yeah, so it's about mitigating right. everything else, and you could, you could probably uh, you know zero into uh, everyone else on that team with the defense core that they have, but it's about – you know. Uh, if, if McDavid's going to get you, he's going to get you. And, uh, and I think they probably match up the best against that team just for that reason alone, because it's not much after McDavid. Maybe you can get a few on Miko Koskinen and Mike Smith. Uh, PJ, I, I really appreciate this. I hope you're not reaching awesome. for an ice bag after this interview. I, I didn't want drink. There was no, no intention there, um, but uh, <laughs> it, it was a great conversation. And I appreciate you indulging me on some uh, fighting talk as well. Awesome. Thanks very much. Thanks. 